today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Uh, I wanted to focus on uh, what's going on in China right now. We know the Beijing Olympics wrap up over the weekend. Uh, and there was a, a huge, huge political overtone to that uh, and the impact that's going to have on U.S.-China uh, relations. Uh, but we can't look at things in a global picture like this in isolation. Uh, they are all tied together, and especially when it comes to things like foreign policy. Uh, so to that end, I'm, I'm going to try to piggyback on both the issues, what's going on with Ukraine, what's going on with China, because uh, we do know, as we just talked about in the last segment with Reggie Cicchini, that a top European Union official now says that Russia has actually committed an active war against Ukraine, and the 27-member bloc is weighing sanctions at this stage. Jackie Quinn has details. The European Commissioner for Justice, Didier Reinders, says Vladimir Putin's designating independence to two separatist regions in Ukraine and then sending in troops is an act of war, and it's time to pull the trigger on sanctions. In the UK... Waking up to a very dark day in Europe. British cabinet member Sajid Javid says President Putin has the, decided uh, to uh, to um, attack the sovereignty of uh, Ukraine. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says the UK will introduce immediate sanctions and the EU says it's measuring its response, noting that a full-fledged invasion has not yet taken place. I'm Jackie Quinn. So with that happening and then on the other side of the world you've got uh, the Chinese government flexing their muscles when it comes to, well, Taiwan for one, and, and certainly in Hong Kong. To try to make some sense of all this, we're so pleased to welcome back to the program Elliot Tepper. Elliot, of course, is a emeritus professor of political science at Carleton University. Uh, Elliot, great to talk with you. Hope you had a nice family day weekend. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. I think uh, Ottawa is not really the place to talk about a happy weekend uh, yeah. in terms of a normal family day. We've had quite the uh, quite the historic moment to deal with here. Well, we're hoping the siege is over and uh, there are better days ahead for the uh, that great city. Uh, I, I spent, I'm sure you did too, a lot of time in front of the TV watching the coverage of that, but also seeing what's going on with a very tense situation in Ukraine. And, and the, the two are linked, I think, because both of them are, are supposed to be hallmarks of the Biden administration's foreign policy, Elliot. Uh, how do you how do you fight a battle like this on two fronts with two two very very uh, tentative tense situations going on on either side of the world? Well, which are the two? Uh, <laughs> we've I've been keeping an eye on the Iran nuclear deal as well while we're at it. Yes, of course. The um, the situation I believe you're referring to is China, yeah, and Russia and Ukraine. We were supposed to be spending our time, we thought, today talking about the Olympics and the successful conclusion from the Chinese perspective of the Olympics. But I was going to point out that perhaps the most important part of the Olympics happened on February 4th, which was the date of the bilateral agreement, a visit between Xi Jinping, to Xi Jinping by, uh, by Vladimir Putin. And that was almost covered up by the news of the Olympics and everything else, but it was a very strategic meeting. They agreed to uh, all kinds of things. One of the things they agreed to, and it's an important uh, element right now, is that essentially China is giving Russia an off-ramp against sanctions, because if the sanctions are meant to hit the pocketbook where it matters, that is, the export of oil and gas, which is basically all that Russia has, if that gets cut in terms of Europe, Xi Jinping said, no problem. We will just extend to you what we did in 2014 when we negotiated a very favorable 
trading agreement with you. Let's make it bigger. So they're now going to supply um, 10 billion cubic meters a year of gas to China, said uh, Putin, via a new route I'm reading from the Far East. Separately, Russia's biggest oil producer, Rosneft, has reached an agreement to deliver 100 million tons of crude oil via, via Kazakhstan. They have to make a new pipeline to make that happen. So these are geopolitics. Uh, it, it proves that the world is round. Uh, Xi Jinping is offering a much closer relationship with China. They don't like the idea, by the way. Uh, China's really uh, very hostile to the notion that other countries can invade other countries. It's a core plank, given their history. They saw the Olympics as part of their great national rejuvenation, overcoming the humiliation of having been invaded and weak for so long. And uh, now they're offering a lifeline to Mr. Putin. Well, and it pretty much negates uh, some of the talk about sanctions uh, from some of the European nations, too, doesn't it, Elliot? I mean, you know, Germany announces that they're willing to walk away from the pipeline project with Russia. Uh, and, and, and with this meeting, and, and, and as you say, this agreement between China and Russia, I mean, basically, Putin can say, big deal. So what? Yeah, you know, we'd like you to have it, but, you know, we're doing fine, thank you, without it, you know, because of, of what they've signed on with China here. Yes, that's my point, is, is linking these two. China, of course, is also a competitor with Russia and a much larger economy, and it's going to be even larger coming down the pike. So uh, one of the questions being kicked around right now in you know, elite policy circles is, will Russia like being a vassal state to China? But at this moment, uh, Russia is holding all the cards in terms of what happens next in terms of Ukraine. And and I know that the reality of what's going on economically with Russia uh, flies in the face of, of what Putin is saying, that everything is fine here. No, our people are, you know, we're fed some rough times, but everybody else has too. No big deal here. Uh, yet I, in his heart of hearts, he's not a stupid man, Elliot. He must understand that he may not want to have a subordinate role with a, a power such as China. But at this stage, what choice does he have? Well, his choice is to give up his goals regarding Ukraine and he's willing to make that bargain, as you might even say a Faustian bargain with China, in order to pursue his goals. But also, looking forward to an alliance, a closer, ever closer alliance, military, technological, economic alliance between these two revisionist powers, both each of which wants to overturn the existing status quo for their own reason, a revanchist power in terms of Russia, a revisionist power in terms of China, uh, the closer they get in all kinds of ways, many different ways, even beyond this crisis or deepened by this crisis, will affect geopolitics going forward. Well, and what does this do to U.S. foreign policy? I, I mean, if there's going to be that sort of an alliance right now, uh, China in, a, in an emerging economy, certainly, and in a military presence, especially uh, in, in the South China Sea area, where they pretty much claim domain over just about everything, the waters, the land, everything else. Uh, and Russia, of course, with their expansionist ideas, of course, well, they suggest it's reclaiming uh, what is rightfully theirs, uh, looking at Ukraine and, and, and other places like this right now. The Biden administration right now is has got to be, you know, their head's got to be on a swivel here now trying to figure out which way to go uh, and, and exactly what to do here. I mean, they've talked about economic sanctions, but is, is that going to be enough? Is that going to sway opinion with Putin right now to, to simply back off and try to cut a deal? Or does he figure, as long as I got China backing me up here, I'm okay with what I'm doing? Yes, I think it, 
what we're discussing now hasn't received sufficient attention in the whole equation about what about Putin in Ukraine, the fact that he's he's got some alternatives that have not been given prominence, in this case China, uh, should be a factor. The answer to your question is nobody really knows if even still whether, uh, what what is it that Mr. Putin wants? We know that he wants to prevent, at a minimum, democratic consolidation in Ukraine. He does not want he wants to revise the security architecture of the whole post-Second World War. The, uh, what has what an invasion suddenly becomes important, keeping in mind that uh, Mr. Biden has said, yes, we will help our NATO allies. He's rallied the troops, so to speak, the NATO alliance, and brought it back into prominence, uh, thanks to Mr. Putin. But he will not put American troops into Ukraine. Ukraine, essentially, ultimately, when push comes to shove, and it is, is on its own. Uh, there'll be sanctions, there'll be all kinds of assistance uh, verbally, there'll be the neighboring states are going to be beefed up because they're members of NATO. Uh, the EU role is very interesting here as well. The EU, after all, was kind of the avenue of choice outside of the NATO alliance uh, for Ukraine to become increasingly part of Europe and part of the Western democracies and part of the, the uh, global push back against autocracy, uh, we'll have to see really what the EU can offer as well. But ultimately, right now, we're depending on, on Mr. Putin and what he wants to do next. And and I guess with that, is what's going to, the U.S. response going to be? I know that uh, we just learned that uh, the President Biden's going to make a statement, I guess, uh, we're at 1 o'clock this afternoon yes. about what's gone on in Ukraine in the last uh, 48 hours or so. Uh, and, and this is, uh, again, as, as you mentioned, to, to draw that connection once again uh, with what's gone on in, with uh, with China and, and some of their concerns about, well, the Uyghurs most definitely, uh, and, and what's going on with Taiwan at the same sort at the same time. Uh, the threat of economic sanctions uh, in both areas, Elliot, doesn't seem to have much impact. No, the uh, as you can read in the press, the Russians have built, uh, built up a... a a war chest, so to speak, a nice economic buffer to go along with their, any military uh, activities they take, which would cost them. They've been under sanctions anyway. They're quite used to it after 2014, after Crimea. Uh, the, the best guess as to what he will do next is to continue to create confusion as to whether this is, in fact, an invasion, which would trigger those massive sanctions or not. And as long as he keeps everybody guessing, those sanctions don't even come into effect, even though he's now taking quite uh, in-depth preparations by building up his foreign reserves and dealing with China as an off-ramp, as backdoor, uh, in order to deal with any sanctions that do occur. Elliot, how tight would a, 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 a China-Russia relationship be? I mean, from an economic standpoint, as you say, there seems to be uh, a win for both of them here. But historically, we know... Uh, those two countries don't get along very well, not for very long anyway. I mean, if they do strike some sort of an alliance, it doesn't usually last any length of time. Uh, what, what are the prospects for, the, for this kind of a, a, a teaming up? Yes, this is not a uh, natural alliance of friends. These are competing powers in some ways. Very quietly, for example, China is moving in on what um, Putin considers the former Central Asian republics uh, under the Soviet Union. That is his sphere of influence. China's moving into those under the Belt and Road Initiative in other ways. And China also is, is um, clearly emerging as a senior partner in any relationship. I was very struck with, just as a small side note, but 
the agreement between Putin and Xi on February 4th talked about technological cooperation. They want to create a base on the moon together. Uh, so they are, they're saying together we're staking uh, a claim to the future. And so the, you know, the West is showing that it's decadent. They don't put it this way anymore, but their, their uh, models of governance are, are much worse than ours. There will always be strains and frictions between these two powers, uh, geographic, first and foremost, because they have long borders. But uh, for the moment, particularly under the situation in Ukraine, they have a mutuality of, uh, of interest, which is definitely drawing them closer together. And that is a change. It's not a permanent or solid or unchanged. You know, we, we don't know where it will evolve, but at the moment, these two powers are growing closer together in an alliance against democracies. But when you've got uh, the Biden administration, again, reiterating, I'm sure the president's going to do this in a couple of hours when he speaks, uh, you know, we got your back, Ukraine. Uh, and he's saying the same thing about Taiwan and, and what's going on in that part of the world right now. Uh, how much credibility does that have when they're saying, well, yeah, you say you've got it, but if some you know push comes to shove, as you say, they're not putting boots on the ground in Ukraine. They're not going to get militarily involved, certainly, in what's going on. Uh, in the other sections with China and, and some of the other concerns they have over there. So, you know, are, are those hollow words, or, or do the, can they take solace in the fact that the U.S. is with them? The U.S. is supplying armaments. Uh, there's been a question, why doesn't Canada do more? Whatever we can do, it's really the U.S. that has to do the heavy lifting and su supplying uh, military material to, to Ukraine. Uh, it's, of course, very important to have the United States saying, yes, we will lead taking leadership role and organizing support for Ukraine. All of that is important, but push is now coming to shove. Uh, and really, this is not, as it repeatedly has been pointed out, uh, for Russia, Ukraine is a, a core interest. For the U.S., Ukraine is, is a, you know, a partial interest at, at best. I, I've been watching Russian television, RT, and they, on this issue on Ukraine, and the, their panel says most Americans couldn't find Ukraine on the map, which is correct. Also, uh, they pointed out something that's important, I think, and has not been picked up on a whole lot, that when we say that these two republics now have been recognized, they're only recognized in part of the actual jurisdiction that is claimed by those two. So if you look at the administrative units, according to this panel, the RT, the Russian uh, television panel, actually the territory of those uh, now sovereign independent republics, which they're clearly not, um, extends beyond where the Russian uh, forces and, and their independence uh, freedom fighters currently reside. If they expand into those, the normal, complete range of the Donbass, then it will probably mean moving troops, Russian troops, across what is now a de facto international border, I guess, and that, in turn, will change the equation again. Then it becomes clearly an invasion. But what they did over the weekend uh, with those two, what they called rogue uh, uh, yes. entities, which recognizing them, uh, and, of course, we already know that there's military, Russian military support uh, there anyway. Uh, does that, get, first of all, give them a foothold in that area, but does it also uh, strengthen their argument that there's a civil war going on in Ukraine and, and, and they, they would somehow... Uh, 
justify their their involvement into that saying look those are our people that are well he's used the word genocide a couple of times right now yes, he's, uh, he's to try to justify that, that. that this does 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 this validate it saying look we've got to move in there now uh, to save lives we again don't know his the full intentions i think that he wants to basically make formal the dismemberment of ukraine they did that by taking crimea and these two uh, the, the donbass region which is an industrial and mining region they've detached them already since 2014 really the um, the question now is would he be willing to go beyond that to prove his his point that ukraine will never be a viable democratic alternative to the russian model the whole question of ukraine russian relations is a very long and deep and complicated relationship no doubt there's a sense of ukrainian nationality today and stateness statehoodness and sovereignty that has been increased as a result of Mr. Putin's um, actions. But uh, nobody really knows where he's going to go next. If he moves his troops uh, even more across what would now be considered sovereign international borders that he's defined, then it will be considered an invasion and will trigger a much wider, deeper uh, form of conflict, not necessarily military, but uh, definitely a, a reaction from the West. That includes us, by the way. We have deep. Oh, interest. certainly. Yeah, I got about a minute left here. Uh, we also heard over the weekend that uh, that Biden has agreed, in principle, uh, to have a, a summit meeting with Putin about what's going on there. Uh, if that happens, and of course, you know, he's one of the provisos is, is that Russia doesn't invade in the meantime. What can be accomplished there? Is this going to be a stare down, or is there something substantive to be negotiated? No, I think it's it's entirely possible that. Mr. Putin will get everything he wants, in a sense. He's going to be the center of world attention. He commands attention. He commands respect. He's moved his forces. Uh, if this is not officially declared to be an invasion and therefore invoking all those sanctions, if there's going to be a bilateral uh, meeting, then uh, the demands by, by Russia, by Putin, that renegotiation of the security architecture take place then that would be a, another win for him. He'll have something he didn't have before by not losing anything uh, in terms of, you know, there's no body bags going back. It's cost him some money, but it just would uh, be a, a victory for him. But the West, on the other hand, might be willing to do something. I've been putting out the, the solution going back to the Cuban Missile Crisis when that was a nuclear crisis. And out of that came actually a new agreements on, in this case, a nuclear test ban. Uh, maybe we'll get a a new missile agreement that would work to the benefit of the world. <sighs> to be continued. Uh, Elliot, always great to get your perspective on this. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, stay well, and we'll talk again soon. <laughs> what a situation. What a world we're living in right now. I know. Now. <laughs> I know. Just remarkable. Um, well, here's hoping the cooler heads prevail. Thanks again, Elliot. Take care. Elliot Tepper, of course, uh, from uh, Carlton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.